couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Jump on our boards, cause the boards are hot. We're going to the Olympics and we're going nonstop. Rock and roll. Hey, welcome back to Wheel of Randy, your favorite Randy Newman podcast. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network, and let's start the show! It's Wheel of Randy! Folks, you know I'm not often starstruck on this show, but today I kind of am because we've got uh, one of my favorite cartoonists. We've got Ruben Bowling here today. Hello, Ruben. Hey, how you doing? Man? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I uh, R- Ruben is, is the author of of Tom the Dancing Bug, which has been around oh since the late nineties, hasn't it? Early nineties, in fact, early the 90s. earliest nineties, nineteen ninety. No so kidding. I just celebrated my thirty first uh, anniversary. Thirty one years of doing that thing every every single week. Fantastic. Uh, my my first memory of it are are. Uh, college newspaper ran it. Okay, yeah, I guess it would have been 94 or 95. Uh, ran it, I, I think, just for one semester. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of disappeared from my consciousness uh, until uh, until the Facebook era, really. Uh, yeah. Is when, when people started sharing that again. You know, you, you had, had made your living in, in, in the, the alt-weekly newspaper business for the most part. I did. It was, uh, I started uh, self-syndicating to um, mostly to alt weeklies, but I also got the idea. I I mean, I was, I look back and I was so um, aggressive. I would send out um, postcards to every newspaper, every college newspaper in the country, every semester asking if they wanted to uh, carry Tom the dancing bug. And, um, you know, I got a bunch of clients that way, but each each semester it would change because they'd have to get a new a new editor, a new student yep. editor. So uh-huh. I had to do it. I had to do it constantly. It was a constant churn, uh, but it got a lot of exposure. A lot of people know my comic strip from that. Uh, you know, from way back in in those days. Uh, so I guess it was a good move. But it was. Um, I look back. That was that was a pretty uh, <laughs> pretty aggressive uh i guess uh smart move to do and um but then it just as i became more and more syndicated in in regular newspapers and non-student newspapers and then actually syndicated by universal press syndicate starting in 1997 uh you know i stopped all that and then i was i just stopped doing sales and and i just concentrated on doing the uh on doing the comic nice uh I have a love-hate relationship with our local Alt Weekly, who was dead set in, we're running Doonesbury, what else do we need? That's that's as edgy as the Oklahoma um, Gazette ever got. What, what is what is the, uh, the Alt Weekly? The Oklahoma Gazette, Oklahoma which is Oklahoma Gazette. City's. Yeah, Alt I remember Weekly. that one. Yeah, and, that's still uh, going? Well, funny you should mention, because I wanted to, uh, they are, are, are barely hanging on, they got bought out and, and raided, you know, like so many yeah. newspapers. Most um, of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was really how I started. That's, there was an alternative weeklies and, you know, I was in the village voice and uh, just so many of them, Seattle stranger. And I would, and I would do that myself um, um, and sell that uh, myself. 
almost and then they got they got bought out they got bought out by big chains and you know and then they were no longer alternative they were then mainstream or pretending to be alternative they became part of conglomerates so you'd have like one chain would own uh, all these different alternative weeklies and then now they're just they're just pretty much gone so that's my that was my yeah. career everything changed for ours when uh when we got legal weed about three years ago it basically became a weed newspaper at that point um, oh, really? yeah so yeah but uh in the day it was it was a refreshing alternative to our mainstream newspaper at least um yeah w- with the alt weekly changing uh you kind of changed your business model uh and uh Tell, tell us about the inner hive and 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 the the, the thinking behind that. Yeah, it it was uh, I was losing these newspapers. These alternative newspapers were were dropping out. They'd be budget cuts and uh, and and uh, they were consolidating and and making a deal with like one cartoonist to have them in all their papers. And I was just losing clients. I had a bunch of mainstream uh, dailies also by that point. By like maybe. Um, the mid 2000s, the Washington Post. Uh, so my print was running great. And then it's just suddenly after 2008 or so, it just fell off a table and um, I began losing clients. And I, I still had this web presence, um, which I knew was getting me probably more eyeballs and more actual readers than than even the, the print newspapers, but I didn't know idea how to, this was the, this was the, the puzzle everyone had at that time. Like, how do you monetize that? How do you make that a career? Because, okay. you know, like I had, I think probably at the time I had my only web client was salon.com, which was one of the first web magazines and right. at that time was a great client, but they paid like one, they paid the way one great newspaper would pay. And my model was based on syndication, which is you need like, a hundred or 200 or 300 newspapers. Um, so it, it was giving me lots of eyeballs, but it wasn't paying. So yeah, I, I was one of the first ones to sort of, I'm sort of, I sort of cobbled together my own uh, Patreon. People are now familiar with this concept of, you know, Patreons and, and Substack is, is sort of the, a, another option. But at the time I had to like figure it out how to, how to do it through, um, I did it through MailChimp and, and um, figured out a way to, uh, to get, uh, paid for subscriptions without having to manually figure out whose subscription was running out and, and all this. So right. that, you know, that was incredible because the, the, you know, I launched it and I won one day I said, um, you know, I'm starting this thing called the inner hive where you can get my comic strip a day early before it's published anywhere and you pay something for it. And I'm give you an email every week. And, uh, you know, I just like hit the send button and it was like, well, this is it. And, um, Man, just instantly, instantly, like that hour, it became my, the biggest single source of revenue that that strip had ever had. Getting uh, it a day early, I've got to say, I, people go big deal. No, that is a really big deal, okay. especially uh, you, you know on on social media. You know, if if I know what what's happening to to Lucky Ducky a day before my friends, <laughs> well, that makes me feel really good. Well, thank thank God because that's all I have to offer. <laughs> Is, is that that one day thank god that you it has value to you um i also throw in like contests and and content and and commentary and and peaks at, at my process which i i try to i try to give whatever content i can because you know this this thing has become you know i'm on i'm on i still published in newspapers and and on the web and you know yeah, great 
web clients like Boing Boing and Daily Coast and Go Comics. But, um, you know, those I really, from a financial perspective, uh, I, I think I see those as um, sort of ways to get publicity, to, to get exposure in order for people to, to um, join the inner hive and, and buy books because um, those, they're just a few clients. Um, and as I said, I, this, the syndication model is built for hundreds of clients. So uh, yeah, it's just a way to get exposure, but man, that's, that is, that's great to hear. Uh, if it's not too sore a subject, uh, I wonder if you could, could share uh, the drama with, with this year's Pulitzer. Because uh, oh, it's yeah. such a, a bizarre story. I mean, this is like something out of Catch Twenty Two. It is. It is bizarre, and I and no, I understand. That's that's what I've been talking about it for a while. I I, I I'm always uncomfortable talking about it. It's a little awkward because I never I never really cared about awards. Um, I mean, they're they're nice to get, and they're they're good to get, and they're good for business, and and I'm I'm always honored. But, you know, frankly, I, my, my feeling about awards is always very ambivalent. You know, I feel like it's it's the arts is is an area that is the least conducive to um, competition. Um, and to say something is better than another thing, it just it just seems silly. It's, it's not it, it's, it's just not true. Obviously, people have different views and it's and it's and, and different tastes. And so there's no there's, it's just a silly thing. But, you know there's a, there's a reason for it. There's a marketplace, the Oscars, you know, I, I say, Oh, that was come out of a movie that would, that should win an Oscar, you know, and I, what, what's, it's so silly. Um, uh, so I'm, I, 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 and I've been very fortunate in the last few years in the, in the Trump years that I, I, the comic strip has won uh, a bunch of awards. So it's, I can't complain about them, but yeah, it's, I think it's, it's sort of uh churlish to, to, complain about awards like I should have won when, when I you know back when uh, back in the day when people would say why don't the why don't the Pulitzers ever uh, award an alternative comic strip and I'd you know I'd be my you know my colleagues would, would complain about that you know like I deserve it and my, my friends deserve it but I feel like it's you know it's just the way the awards are you know certain movies don't win Oscars that's just you know a horror movie could be the best movie of the year, maybe in my opinion, or maybe in yours, but it's not going to win an Oscar and a comedy is not going to win. So it's, it's silly to think that anyway, the, the, I'm, this is a long preamble to what happened, which is that for the second time uh, I was a finalist for the Pulitzer prize. Um, and uh, uh, this year, uh, the, what happens is, the, there's a, a small committee that decides on each award, in this case, the Editorial Cartoonist Award, and they're mostly supposed experts in the field, a practitioner who's won an award or a, um, an academic or you know, something like that. So that, that committee uh, submitted me and two other cartoonists, um, uh, Lalo Al- Alcaraz and Marty Tubles, to the, the main committee, the main journalism Pulitzer Prize committee, that decides on uh, that, that gets all these nominations for every category and they decide on the Pulitzer. Um, and this year they got these three nominations and without comment or explanation said, there is no Pulitzer prize for editorial cartooning this year. Um, and uh, so, you know, it was, it's a very strange result. And maybe you could say they were, they loved these three comics so much that they couldn't decide um, uh, on, on a winner, which is sort of doesn't make sense. I mean, that's their job. Just, just make a decision. If it's so important that it's a hung jury, then 
then it's important enough to just come to a conclusion. Right. Even so, the Oscars have ties sometimes. Come on. If it's an objective tie, right, then say it's a tie. When, but just, just do something. This, there's, a, there's an award to give out. It's your job to give it out, so give it out. But they just said there's no award. And I think it looks like, and I think it really is the case that they said no, none of the work that we were presented or any of the work outside those nominations, any of the work produced this year, none of the work was, was Pulitzer worthy, which, you know, I, like I say, any, you know, awards are subjective. You can say whatever you want, but that is just objectively wrong. This was a great year for, you know, I'm, I'm insulted. It was a great year for my profession. This was, uh, and we, I feel like uh, my colleagues uh, rose to the occasion of, of, you know, unprecedented news, the, the COVID and, and Trump um, uh, and the big lie and him re- refusing to give up power over the course of 2000, at the end of 2020, as well as many other things. I, I felt like that was just wrong. So for the first time, I really, I, I, because I was in the middle of the controversy as one of the finalists who was, you know, snubbed. Uh, I, I, I didn't pull any punches and in interviews, I said all this, I said, I'm, I, I am insulted by this, by this result. Um, I think it's a, it's a slap in the face to editorial cartooning. And, uh, I'm, I'm on behalf of the profession, I'm insulted, but you know, that's, that's it. And I've, I've, I've moved on. It's, it's funny because the Pulitzer prize is, uh, that is, that is a word that is very meaningful to people. When someone right. says that guy's a Pulitzer Prize winner, whether it's, you know, cool. meaning, whether it, they deserved it or not, or whatever it is, you know, that when you say that, that's instant credibility. So it would have been nice to be <laughs> nice to have that, you know, some that stamped on my forehead. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the way, that's the way that ended up. And, you know, it, it, it I, I, I like to say that it means that you're second to none. Oh, maybe, <laughs> but I guess I think this year, um, uh, well, second to none, I don't know. Yes. I, that's a, that's a positive way to spin it. Yes. Yeah. Very good. And, you know, it is a shame because, you know, edit, like you said, editorial cartooning is, it, it, it's such an important part of journalism. Um, and, you know, it has been for, for so long, you know, growing up, you know, I never picked up a comic book in my life, but I, uh, by the time I was like six, I, I was going through the Doonesbury Chronicles. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, although I'm not crazy about them anymore, I, I read a whole lot of Bloom County uh, in, in the day. And, you know, that's really what shaped that I learned. That's how I learned modern history. That's how I learned about Watergate. Yeah. Um, that it's this accessible format that, uh, it is very very funny but also you know it, it you know as a kid it, it it gave me the opportunity to ask my older brothers and sisters or my parents what is this uh, yeah. like who is yeah when Doonesbury was, was was covering like uh the boston school integration uh, yeah. they did a, a solid month on that and i learned so much about just you know the history of segregation from that yeah um, and it's, it's it's just such a powerful format it's interesting I, I think now there are at that time there was no not nothing else did that treated subjects um in depth and satirically um because the political humor of the time uh was you know johnny carson's monologue um uh, you know, these monologue or, or Conan O'Brien's monologue, which, you know, would just be very surface stuff. Um, yeah. 
And I think that changed with The Daily Show. Um, and then, you know, all of the, you know, the copycats and, and all and all the things that, that came out of that, where, you know, there's all this is a, 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 a waterfall of uh, of satire every day, um, taking on subjects in varying levels of depth. Um, and, you know, in in a humorous way, but also, you know, pretty seriously and often more seriously than uh, more t- treating it more seriously than, than the news does. So, um, you know, I, I sort of sort of came to editorial cartooning through um, those, those comic strips um, and through, you know, just being loving comics and comics humor. And then when I first started Tom dancing bug, it wasn't political at all. It was for decades. It was uh, not political. And then I just got into the political aspect of it just because at the time I had a weekly deadline and I, you know, it was just a subject. It was like, it was something else to be funny about. And so I just began, you know, doing some of that. Uh, 9-11 changed, changed the comic strip a lot. It became more political after that. I felt like I had a, I had a, a, a forum to, to, to say stuff. And, and, uh, and then the Trump years, I just, Trump just took over my comic strip starting in 2015. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I, I, I want to talk about uh, Donald and John here in a second. Uh, but, you know, I, I sat down last night, just started making a list of, of characters in Tom the Dancing Bug and came up with, you know, just off the top of my head, 20, 25 really solid uh, motifs that, that are out there. And, you know, I won't, I won't go ahead and, and, and read through all of them, but, but, you know, you know, Donald and John has has run several episodes, and and Godman and and Billy Dare have have been around, and thematically they're completely different from each other, but they're still such well developed characters. I it's just I I I can't think of of another you know cartoonist that has this wide a cast of characters. Oh well, thanks. That's that is uh, that's exactly what um, I I try for. Um, when I started the comic strip, if I don't know if I could have even verbalized this, but probably what I had in my mind was um, I used to love uh, Mad Magazine, sure, uh, especially when I was a kid, um, and I just that was just the greatest, and also sort of an example of of you know some a lot of there was a that was awfully political, um, yeah. and it would treat subjects in 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 depth, you know, sort of a, in a in a sketch style, um, and so if I had to, if I had to um, verbalize what my comic, what I wanted my comic to be would be a mad magazine where I was all the, uh, all the different cartoonists who have different styles and different characters. I, I was doing everything. So one week would be, you know, the spy versus spy and, and, uh, and, you know, the, the lighter side of, and, um, you know, a fold in, but, you know, but but in my case, I I'd have new characters, in. new styles, and it would all be me, and and which is which is you know uh, an insanely ambitious way to approach a comic strip, um, and of course you know I fell far short of that. But I, you know the way that I fell short ended up being Tom the Dancing Bug, and and um, and that is you know that's that's exactly what I what I try for different uh, fresh styles, art styles, fresh um, different writing styles every week something something different um and you know but with but with recurring um motifs with recurring characters that uh, i can i can use and then you know there's ones that i've stopped using um you know there's one named harvey richards 
which I used a lot when I was, um, you know, in the early decades of the comic strip. I haven't used them probably in 20 was, years. Was he the one that the art community loved so much? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I should have said the, the full title. Harvey Richards, Lawyer for Children. Oh, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I, yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> and there's the art guy. Yeah, there's there's just been I just, you know, I, I set them up. And sometimes it's just for one week. And then I realize it's sort of like Saturday Night Live where like you do a character. It's like, oh, that one, I kind of like that. I could probably do that again. Yeah. Um, and there's some like Lucky Ducky um, is a character where I just did one. And I said, okay, that was, that worked out great. I had fun drawing it. It was in the style of, um, of like Carl, Bar- Carl Barks and Funny Animal Comics. And that was something I really hadn't done much of. Yeah. And I'd probably done 40 of them by now i don't know how many lucky duckies i've done and uh and it's it's you know that's that's really fun that's great you know to and then when i come up with something then it's like that's couldn't be like material for weeks you know i came up with a new one and it's not new anymore really it's probably uh a few years old but chagrin falls of a of a family um in in uh, middle america and that's been great because that's like another uh, format that I can use and can and when I come up with an idea I can say well is this a Billy Dare is this a Chagrin Falls maybe this is a Lucky Ducky or or you know anything so that's yeah it's great it it keeps things fresh for me and um, and yeah hopefully the reader one recurring theme that I keep seeing and and uh, is this kind of uh, well natured contempt toward Chicago. <laughs> or at least people bragging about Chicago. What's the deal with that? It's a, is there more than the one? The one became became a huge hit. I did one. I, I don't know that. Is it is it more than one? Is I well I have, yeah I because there are a couple of Chicago pizzas and we, that's not a pizza. That's a a, a box of VHS pornography. <laughs> that's right. There was two. All right. Uh, you, you, you nailed me. I, there there was another busted. Um, I, yeah, I just assumed I there were more because two popped into my a little bit. I think that second one, well, the first one I did, it was just, uh, it was, did you know, uh, fun facts about, I was doing these things, fun facts about certain things. And there's, there's something, listen, I love Chicago and some of my best and funniest friends are from Chicago and they, and they love that one. Um, and so it's just, there's something about the, there's a defensive nature of, of people from Chicago where they, they, um, you know, they, they think that they're like, they're part of like the New York, Chicago, LA rivalry. And for people in New York and LA, we see it as Chicago was like a very big Cleveland um, or, you know, Midwestern city. <laughs> and so yeah, just, I just find that, that funny. And, uh, and so uh, I did that one comic and it got a big, I got a big reaction. And then we had Chicago pizza and, and all kinds of silly stuff. It's, it's, I don't know. I hope they're not offended. I I, I liked it because I it, it 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 kind of poked fun at at regional pride and regional That's pride right. is ridiculous no matter where you're from. You know where where I grew up, people bragged about what a great city Birmingham was. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you do you do have pride. It's uh I. I did. I to be. I did try doing one on uh, another city, another. Did you know on Boston, which I spent a lot of time living in, and New York, where I live now. Uh, but they they didn't really hit uh, the way the Chicago one hit. And and uh, honestly, this I'm not. This is true. It's from. It's for people from from Chicago. People living in Chicago. Uh, they they they're the ones who always say that they 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 love that one. So uh, 
I, I, I think it, it hit in a, in the good, like you say, the, the good natured way that it was, that it was intended. You know, one of the, one of the things was um, uh, certain, certain uh, exterior shots of movies were shot in Chicago was like a fun fact about it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So just, just because people from Chicago would say like, Oh man, you know, that, that, that move, that movie, this, this shot, that was shot right, right in front of here. Um, and you know, when you're from New York and you're basically dodging movie sets on your way to, uh, on your way to get coffee, uh, you know, that's a, Meanwhile, my legislature is just shoveling money to to, to production companies. To oh, sell. really? Oh, yeah. We'll just we'll pay anything to have people come here. Right. Uh, anyway, tax breaks. Yep. Um, so, would it be fair to say that Donald and John's gotten the most attention this past year? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to how to. Yeah, I, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, I started it in 2016. Donald and John is a uh, a format that I came up with again as a, a one shot. I just thought I, this would be funny. At, in it must it was before the ele- when before Trump was elected, it came out uh, in the uh, the Washington Post revealed that uh, tr- Trump would often call up reporters pretending to be his own publicist named John Barron or what was the other one? Uh, uh, John, I don't know, some other name. And, uh, and he would, and he would, you know, brag about Donald tapes were revealed that someone taped it and you can hear Donald Trump talking about himself. It's, it's clearly him. It's, 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 there's not even any artifice. Um, it's so, the old, it's the old evil Knievel trick when he would pretend to be. <laughs> Uh, did he do that? He pretended to be his own publicist, <laughs> and then he'd pretend to be his own lawyer and threaten to sue the casino. I'm but... sure. I'm sure Trump has done that. I'm sure Trump has done that too. There's just no tapes. So I literally, so I remember that this was it's very vivid because I had a comic ready for that for the, you know the next day, and I wasn't so happy about it. And I woke up with on the deadline, and I thought of this. Oh my god, an imaginary pub- publicist. That's like uh, Calvin and Hobbes. What if? What if uh, Trump is Calvin and his imaginary publicist is Hobbes? And, you know, I usually have one day to draw the comic strip. I wake up at like eight and run to my drawing table and I finish at 530 at the deadline. And in this case, I said, I've got to write this. I had to write the comic and draw it, a complicated comic, all in one day. And it was like it was like a miracle. I I wrote like four Calvin and Hobbes type of comics um, and uh and drew them up and got them out and that was a, a huge that what that first one was just like a fantastic response and then so now i do and then i do more and more every time something comes out i i one point in the lead up in the lead up to the election i did a daily one for a website called the nib that was in addition to um the weekly comic strip um i did one every single day because they were so much fun to draw so easy to write i mean usually i'm usually I have to like think of a comic and it's, it's, it's like digging a, a ditch to like find like one little nugget and writing these was like, was like walking by and it's like picking blueberries. It's just like easy. Oh yeah. There's uh, I, I need another one. I'll just, Oh, there it is. Uh, it was fantastic. So yeah, over the last four years, it's been, it's been uh, great because it's, it's the, it's the metaphor that just keeps on giving uh, uh, Donald as and his imaginary publicist as Hobbes. Uh, have you heard from Bill Watterson about it? I have not. I have not. And we're with this. He was with the same um, syndicate that I that that distributes Tom the Dancing Bug to newspapers. 
so, you know, I, I know the syndicate executives who, you know, are his like, you know, main contacts to the comics world. Um, and no, nothing. I've never heard anything. I've, I've done an awful lot of them. Um, well, if you I, haven't you know, heard from his lawyer, then. No, I haven't <laughs> heard from a lawyer. You know, I, 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 I would be very sympathetic. If he ever, you know, expressed displeasure over it, I would, it would really kill me. Um, so thank God. Cause I, cause I'm such, he is a, such a hero. Um, you know, I would never do like, obviously I'd be sued if I did, you know, things like t-shirts or, um, you know, any kind of merchandising and, and Peeing Calvin never, stickers. Yeah, yeah. 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 I would never, I would never do that, but I've done so many comics that I'm probably, uh, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to make him uh, in any way unhappy with what I'm doing. But as far as I know, um, there's no problem. The two things that strike me from Donald and John, first of all, uh, you, you've really uh, captured uh, Bill Watterson's drawing style. You, you've, you've got, you've got that look uh, even, even, you know, putting Hillary's hair on Susie. Uh, it's still very much in, in, in that, that oh, Watterson great. style. Uh, but what surprises me, I find myself liking little Donald. <laughs> No, it's like oh, that scam. <laughs> What's he up to? Oh now? no, that's an unfortunate byproduct of uh, of doing this. I'm making him into a lovable tyke. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's not to the level of, of Jimmy Fallon playing with his hair, but it's like you know, if he wasn't the most powerful person in the world, this would be uh, just. <laughs> well, the the satire. I mean, I'm painting him as a picture as a as a mischievous uh, scamp. But I, hopefully this satire is as, as scathing as anything I do. I mean, it is, it is really attacking him um, in every oh, way. But it just, yeah. he's, it, I'm attacking him depicted as a little kid who's in trouble. Um, and so that, I, that I, is, I, I think I take comfort in, in, in the escapism that, that for just a few minutes, he, you know, he doesn't have his hand on the button. This is just oh, some, yeah. some kid in his room. Uh, but really, really, really. Although I, I think there was one where he actually did have a, a red button with his finger about to press it <laughs> as, <laughs> as a little kid. <laughs> so I, that, I blocked that, that from my memory. Probably a, a disturbing image, uh, but yeah. So let's talk a little Randy. Thank you for, for doing this. Um, you, you, you've told me privately that you're not, you know, you don't have real extensive Randy knowledge, which at this point is a requirement to be on this show. Because his super fans are just, mm, <laughs> it's a different breed. I'm right on the edge of, being, if I knew just a little bit more about Randy Newman, I would find myself insufferable. Well, then you uh, do a podcast on him. So I think, you know, uh, I think there's there's a level of interest that that is uh, pretty high. Well, that's my workaround. I say, well, I have to research this for the sake of the podcast. I'm not like those other people. <laughs> what song have you brought for us to talk about today? Um, yeah, I, my, my knowledge of Randy Newman is very, uh, it's, it's very narrow, but very deep. I, I know the eighties, um, Randy Newman output. Um, I love the album, um, Trouble in Paradise. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I came to that and I just, I listened to that all the time. And, um, one of this, one of my favorite songs in that is, uh, Take Me Back. Um, I would just listen to, I, you know, I've listened to that probably a million times. Just, I just was put on, I'll just put on that song just, and just like, 
listen to it and then and then move on with my life uh but often it's i think it's a just a great um it's great fun upbeat song (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> listeners take a moment and pause us we don't have the rights uh and listen to take me back off of trouble in paradise and we will be right back okay yeah i mean you're right this is this is a really cheerful song <laughs> The, uh, Trouble in Paradise, uh, I, that whole album uh, is, is this, it, it's his brightest album and I think his darkest album <laughs> because what he's talking about is so disturbing, uh, but, but he, he's, he's really doing it under a pop background for, for really the first time. You know, something just, just occurred to me. <laughs> And this is a well, this is a, maybe uh, an epiphany. Uh, when you said, you know, I, I love that juxtaposition of the you know the the bright um, sound and and disturbing um, content, and you know that's that's what I do in my comic strip. That's Donald and John. Huh. You know it, and that's like so many things I do. I I take the the dark uh, dark elements and I put them onto like often like a children's a bright children's uh comic strip or illustration style and i juxtapose those those two things that's it's something that uh it's like a a a fallback that i use over and over again i've done richard scary um children's illustrations with the darkest most horrible things happening yeah 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 um you know i've done the calvin and Hobbes, and i've done peanuts as as q nuts for the um for the QAnon crowd um so, and just there's it's just something that I do over and, and you know, I'll do like, you know, cute, other, you know, something that's very cute and shiny and bright, but about something that's really dark and disturbing. And it's a way that I think I have of, of dealing with it and bringing something that's disturbing into into a world that I understand and can manipulate and and can um, and is and is uh, nicer. Uh, but that juxtaposition fact. And that's really that's really what this um, what this album is. Yeah. Um, and you know what? This this is well. This is great. This is a great moment. I just had this epiphany. I think it works. I think we should quit the podcast now on a high note because th- th- I'm not going to do better than that. <laughs> we did it, folks. Listen to our sponsor. <laughs> Bye. It's Wheel of. <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh, yeah, th- yeah. This this character, and you know, so many of of Randy's characters are exaggerated versions of himself. Uh, and, and there's some truth in, in this, you know, being born in Los Angeles, uh, his father bailing him out uh, really happened. Um, did that, did that, did that yeah, you know, it, it really did. Uh, but I don't know. There are, he has characters that are more evil than this guy, but I think this guy may be one of the most delusional yeah, of his that, characters, what, you know, because what, I, We've got four minutes of thematically the same thing uh, that 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 Farfisa Oregon is just relentless, but he changes who he's talking to, and he changes his mood seven yeah. or eight times in this song. It's it's just fascinating. It's that's exactly right. I I I you know I would when I when I listened to it way back when it came out, I don't think I thought about I I thought it was about him. 
I thought I thought he was the character, and I did, I didn't know maybe he really had a. I, I mean, it didn't make any sense that if he really if his if his wife really left him, would he really write this song? But but I I did feel as though he grew up in Los Angeles. The the biography sounded right. It sounded like. But I think was he an only child? He talks about his brother in this. No, he he does have a brother. So there. So yeah, it just felt like he was talking about his biography. So I guess what you're saying is, and and this is what I came to when I when I thought about this for it. When I listened to it again and read the lyrics for this, I thought, yeah, it's a version of himself. If he were, if if his wife left him, um, and I guess and biographically, he was still married when he wrote this song, but he was about to get divorced. Yeah, about a year married. after this, he got divorced. Yeah, yeah, so maybe something was wrong, but it. But he also is very he's self was self aware enough to put the put to to paint this character as being totally to blame, um, uh, just a, a monster. Uh, you know the the whole you know he's he's begging it's it's this upbeat '80s anthemic um, you know song and with that with that organ it sounds like '80s and it's like bopping along, but is he's like he's like angry and, and pleading and petulant. And he's saying, take me back. Um, he's like demanding it. And it's not about her. It's about him. He's like, I'm going to tell you all about myself. And this is what happened to me. Um, and you know, he, he, he's sleeping around with some girl uh, in high school. I would almost assume I was talking about the school bell ringing, but then <laughs> right. 30 seconds later, he calls his wife a tramp. <laughs> Yeah, so it's funny because he he's and that's obviously yeah this is this is humorous and he's he's making fun of this character um, and you know he's he said um, yeah he's it's all about it's all about him he, it's his whole biography is is he's saying his biography to 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 get his because he does his wife back and that was just a summertime thing yeah. um, and I realized at the end he goes give me a chance and we'll start all over again. And he doesn't say, give me a chance and I'll be better or I'll make you happy. It's right. just, we'll start all over again. It's almost, it almost sounds like we're going to do this all over again. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost like he's, he's being honest. Like, well, I'll go back to a summertime thing. <laughs> I, I love how he, he, he brags about himself. He, he casually mentions that he got into Stanford, uh, but, but he's not right. He didn't go to Stanford. No, he went to UCLA and then dropped yeah, out so, because he so, couldn't get a good parking spot. <laughs> so he just went into the family business and started writing music. Right. Right. Uh, but, you know, he, at, at first you think this is going to be, um, you know, and he's done this before, you know, a warning to other guys, you know, don't let this happen to you. Um, right. Or almost like he's complaining to the bartender. And then he goes, he's, he starts getting all sentimental about his childhood. And then he starts going after his wife and it's just the song is all over the board oh yeah yeah it is he could be yeah, because he's talking to to you to like the other guys or the or the bartender or or to the public but it, he's also t- talking to his wife take me back is is to his wife so he's he's saying um uh he's pleading with her uh, to to take her back, but you know, on on his terms because he deserves it, because he wants it, because he doesn't want to live in this by this dirty old airport anymore. He, he's not happy, so she has to take him back. That's uh, so he's having it, to do his own laundry. Oh my goodness! Right, right. I'm by himself. <laughs> yes. Get the but feeling that his mom did his laundry before his wife did. Right, 
but he's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so I, I don't, I, I'm looking at it. I don't know how this really struck me about, you know, what he's saying about himself. You know, it's like the other song, the other big song in this album for me is uh, obviously I love LA, sure. which is, which is um, obviously sarcastic and ironic. And he's, he's making fun of LA kind of like the way I made fun of Chicago uh, yeah. uh, in a, in a good natured way. But he also, and like me, he, he loves LA and like, I, I, I love Chicago. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and, you know, he's lived there his whole life aside from a little biography. I know aside from his little, um, his new Orleans, um, in his childhood, he, that, yeah, this is summers in love, new Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does love Santa Monica Boulevard. He, you sure. know, he's, he shouts it out. And, and, and so there's, there's a level of, of irony and there's a level of sincerity um in that song and i think that's also true in uh in take me back i think that he's he is uh kind of condemning himself um uh and you know i, I guess he has an impending divorce something something is wrong in his marriage um yeah. and so he's an imagining he's imagining a future uh where he is this uh petulant angry um guy uh making demands uh of his of his ex-wife uh you know you you said you focused on his 80s stuff uh in in uh his uh late 90s album bad love it's this to the extreme he's oh, really he's yelling at the background singers to shut up he's oh just so that's bitter great. about, about really, literally at, at them yes <laughs> that's great that's great um, in the fourth wall yeah a, a couple notes that, that I, I got about this song that I found interesting. First of all, uh, a friend of the show, Al Riggs, who's a very talented musician, uh, they described the song as someone reading Nabokov while a reggae album plays in the background, which I uh, thought yeah. was really, really clever. Yeah, Nabokov. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's like he, he's in his in his first person narrative. He's the hero. Yeah. But it's immediately obvious that he's a monster. Uh, and so he's describing, he thinks that he's convincing the reader, um, how great he is and how he's right. Um, but every, everything he says is, uh, uh, betrays that, um, that's, that's great, but it, yeah, it sounds very like eighties. It has a great eighties, uh, sound that, that organ, what, what kind of organ did you say it was? Yeah. It's called a Farfisa organ. And that was played by, uh, David Page, who was with Toto. Oh, Toto, really? yeah, oh, Toto okay. did uh, the guitar solo on I Love L.A. Toto is all over this album. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. But so yeah, that's, yeah, that's an 80s. That's yeah. a very 80s uh, sound then. You know, I, I looked up the Farfisa organ and it, uh, it really took off with uh, Wooly Bully used it and then 96 Tears used it. Oh, OK. And then Elton John picked it for Crocodile Rock because he wanted the worst organ sound possible. Oh, that's funny. Well, eighties in eighties there was a not, I mean, not crocodile rock, but in eighties there was a sixties nostalgia. That that was like oh yeah, a sixties sound sort of fueled the eighties uh, sound, and so I think that makes sense. That you know the woolly bully kind of um, kind of sound would 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 would, uh, would would sort of work there. That's that's really interesting. Then you have the other the eighties. You have the Bob Seger uh, singing. Uh, and singing background vocals, and that's yeah. very distinctive yeah, and Bob, really effective. And Don Henley's singing back up on this as well. I read that when I looked this up, but I don't, I don't hear him. 
I well, hear I hear all Bob Seeger. Yeah, I do I do too. I Don does a lot of backup singing for, for Randy. Um Rider in the Rain, you can really tell. Okay, that's Don Henley. But when he sings backup on like short people and, and on this one, it, it's almost like he's he's suppressing his voice, trying not to yeah. have that trademark Don Henley sound. Yeah, I mean, but it's they, just not, yeah, they are with Bob Seger. Bob Seger is totally dominating the sound. Yeah. His body sounds like uh, Bob Seger, which is, you know, that was an 80s, that's an 80s iconic sound. So this is just a real 80s bop. And it's just, uh, and, you know, with this, this dark undercurrent. So, yeah. um, you know, it's funny, because I love this song, and I listen to it all the time, but I never thought about it to this at all really um to but then you know you think about why you like it and 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 what it means and 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 uh you know you come up with all this stuff uh so it was an interesting exercise to to make me think about why why it was that i like this one last thing on this and then then we'll spin the wheel uh you know all, all over town you know we're littered with illegal yard signs for for lawyers say divorce two hundred dollars uh, oh, yeah. th- those signs are all, all over the right of way, but I've noticed that they are most densely located around like the extended stay hotels at the airport. Mm. It's just littered with them over there. It's like, oh my that, God, yeah. like this visual sad short story that, that, that guys who've gotten yeah. kicked out of the house and are staying at the airport. Are, wow. Are just bombarded it, with these are they greasy messages. little shacks there? Is it, is it a greasy, I always misheard it as a greasy little chair. It wasn't until I did <laughs> I did this. I pictured him in a chair that was somehow greasy. You know, he he mumbles on this song more than than usual. Like that line, uh, "I was dealt a losing hand." You know, I listened to this twenty times before I could tell what he was saying. Oh, really? On that line. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's a greasy little shack. Which 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 rhymes with "Take Me Back"? So that's <laughs> that 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 tracks. There you go. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. There's must be something about uh, you get a divorce. You like find an find the nearest airport and a greasy little shack, and uh, and, and you're going to be there with the other divorce guys and and plenty of signs for lawyers. You're 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 like <laughs> you're you're all set for your next stage of life. <laughs> yeah, glamorous LA. Wow. Okay, it is time to spin the wheel. I'm going to share my screen, and you're going to see. A uh, hundred human songs spinning at 80s, random. 80s. Come on, eighties, and let's see what we land on here. So, whenever you're ready, just yell "stop" and tell me what the what the song says. Okay. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. And eighties, stop. That's oh the my first goodness! One that came up. <laughs> All right, so we've landed on. <laughs> This is 80s. Uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. This is from the Three Amigos. Oh, oh my God. This is My Little Buttercup. So Not only did Randy write this song, he wrote the screenplay. My, I didn't, I thought this was like from one, one of his like early albums. I didn't know. This is. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. I love the Three Amigos. All right. So let's watch this clip and see what we think. Oh my goodness! Mm. 
that that, br- that brings it back, man. <laughs> Great, and it was '80s, the, and maybe his best work of the '80s. <laughs> I maybe. I, I didn't know that he wrote that song. I knew he wrote. I knew he was just a credited screenwriter for the movie, and he wrote other songs. I thought maybe that's. I may, would have probably guessed that song was like a real song from like the the '30s or that they used. But yeah. he wrote that, huh? He he really did. And you know, sometimes he'll do that. You know, he'll you know like. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, is very much in the style of like a barbershop quartet. You know, he he's able to pull, uh, or, or something like Ragtime or The Natural. He's, sure. he's able to to to, and and part of that's just you know growing up in 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 musical Hollywood. Just he really has an encyclopedic knowledge of those styles. So yes, uh, no, there I, I have no doubt he was capable of uh, writing that i just thought that they just pulled it out of some out of some old songbook but yep. that is fantastic that he did what a great scene from a movie that i just love i always wondered what um he got it was a credited screenwriter uh and i, I always wonder like how much he he did for like the you know it, it is a it is a great comedy screenplay and it's yeah. and it's it is or at least as it was produced, I don't know what was made up on the spot, but it, it, it is, uh, it is just so many great, uh, comedy elements. Like, like in that clip when, you know, they, they go to each, uh, 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 what do you call them? Cowboy in the, in the bar and like yeah. make them say a word and they're so scared. Uh, that's just a great thing to add to that. Doing that song is a great gag. Yeah. And then having them do that corny thing and them being actually scared and them being delighted with their participation. It's just a great comedy bit. And, uh, well, I just wonder, there are all these great comedy people who worked on that. And I wonder how much Randy Newman really contributed to the, the comedy of the, of you know, the screenplay. Really, all you need to do is point a camera toward Martin Short and say go. And, and... <laughs> Oh, that's true. You know, I, 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 I watched Clifford the other day. Uh, right after Charles Grodin died, and you know Clifford is not a perfect movie by any <laughs> stretch, but that there's a, a scene, there's a scene when Martin Short uh, does uh, a, a San Francisco song uh, on the train platform, and uh, I've never seen that much physical commitment <laughs> to a song and dance. Yeah, he is. is uh, that he is so true. He listen, I love Steve Martin so much, but he's unlike. Um, Martin Short in the way that Martin Short, I could find him funny if he if he just like stood at a bus stop, I would I would laugh at him. He's like he there's like some people like he him and Chris Farley. They just you just look at them and they're funny no matter what they're doing. And then they you know and then they go into their act and it's just they're just so physically funny. It's it's fantastic. So yeah, yeah, I've always loved Three Amigos. That is that is great. But um, yeah, so. No, but you're saying that, you know, you could make, like, Martin Short can make a movie without a great screenplay, as maybe Clifford proved, and, mm. and other things. He's always funny. But The Three Amigos is a strong screenplay. It is, it is, uh, there are great bits in it. It is, uh, it takes, uh, you know, a single premise and plays with it in, in so many different ways, uh, in so many dimensions. Uh, it's It's just fantastic. And, you know, that's, I'm sure Steve Martin is a genius writer, so I'm, I know what he contributed to it. But I, yeah, I wonder if 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 Rennie Newman was really sitting in a room with with Steve Martin, you know, hashing out these scenes, you know, 
man, God bless him. That is, that is unbelievable that he can do that too. That's almost unfair. Uh, there's an interview. Uh, Randy Newman was on Letterman while they were working on the screenplay. And I'm not sure how much of this was tongue in cheek or not, but he told Letterman that it was a movie about three Americans who brought communism to Mexico. <laughs> so I'm not sure if, if the studio you know, axed the communist bent on this or if he was just messing with Letterman, but uh, I, I bet he's messing with Letterman. I can see that. There's there's no way that this evolved from that. This is definitely the, the premise that it started with. But uh yeah. He's I'm sure he's got that uh, knowing from his music, you just know he's got a, a sly sense of humor. Um, you know, and can and would deliver that deadpan. Um yep. I haven't seen him speak much, but that's that's what I would expect from the way he writes music. You know, you, I, I haven't seen him live, but everyone who's seen him live says, you know, you know the songs, but you're looking forward to the banter. You just know he's yeah. he's gonna be you know sardonic. And you you have not seen it. him live? No. Have you? Have, you know, he, I had my kids really early. They're just now grown, so it's like okay, now I'm pushing fifty. I'm finally ready for some live music. So. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I didn't come to live music until uh, late in my life. I, yeah. When I was young, I was so stupid. I, I felt as though, uh, I felt like seeing someone live, you know, why would you go see them live? You can uh, hear the best version that they yeah. could possibly do uh, on the CD. So uh, just just get by the CD, and then you get the best version of that song. Exactly. I mean, it's moronic, and I, I sort of... I wasn't strictly adhering to that. I would see some stuff, but that was basically my, the philosophy that I stuck with until like late in my life. And I'm like, no, going to see live music is fantastic. It is yeah. a, a blast. So yeah, I missed that. So concerts is, I could have seen. He is, is slowly reintroducing live gigs. So yeah, one of these days I'll do it. Um, last uh, segment that we have is something called this week's cover. every week i have uh, a cover you know because he's written for so many different people and i thought when i started this okay maybe there are 10 covers that i can recommend but every week i find weirder and weirder covers uh of randy songs and the one that i'm going to send a link uh for everyone to listen to uh is from the album the simpsons sing the blues oh great uh we have uh we have Marge and Homer doing a duet of I Love to See You Smile from the movie Parenthood, uh, which I thought I'd found the weirdest covers of, of Randy Newman, and the weird ones keep coming. So, so we, we've got The Simpsons this week. Well, that's about it, Ruben. Thank you so much for doing this. What's the best? Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you? Um, well, uh, TomTheDancingBug.com has links to everything. I'm on Twitter, Ruben Bowling, R-U-B-E-N-B-O-L-L-I-N-G. Um, I've got two books coming out. Um, they are uh, available now for pre-order. Um, I hope people will will get them. They come out in November. One is uh, part of the, the complete Tom the Dancing Bug. Uh, 
and that 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 um, compiles all the comics from uh, 2012 to 2015. It's volume six in the complete series. And uh, another book is called Tom the Dancing Bug Without the Bad Ones. <laughs> uh, and it is uh, the very, very, very best of uh, the entire 31-year run of my comic strip. The, hundred, the top 144, 140, I think, comics uh, in my whole career. So those two books are coming out, and, they're, uh, and also you can find links at TomTheDancingBug.com. Very good. Uh, I highly recommend them. I, I bought the, the Super Fun Packs comics collection, and uh, it, is, uh, it doesn't stay on the shelf. I, I pull it and flip through it a lot. Oh, great. Uh, awesome. Finally, what's the deal with Ben Garrison? Why am I so fascinated with this guy? I don't know. The, I don't know the first thing about him. When some, sometimes in a, in a way, you got to give him credit because he is effective. He is. He will. Uh, he's the only conservative cartoonist who I can. He'll draw a gasp from me. I'll be like, oh, he what? Uh, so yeah, he's he like fascinates a, me the same way that that Jack Chick tracks fascinated me as a kid. Yeah, I just can't turn away from them. Yeah, he is uh, deep into QAnon and and MAGA and and Trumpism and uh, and he's a uh, I I got to give it to him. He's an he's an effective he's an effective cartoonist. He has he'll have all these metaphors. He'll everything is labeled and everything and is labeled, complicated. Yes. And just look at this and like what is going on in this guy poor guy's mind. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's he's it's it's entertaining. It's I mean it's interesting. I'll give yep. him that. I, I thought it was a parody, kind of like, you know, Kelly at the Onion, but I was like, no, this guy's uh, for real. I, I don't know. Okay, thank you so much for doing this, Ruben. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Going out the science, yeah, blowing out the snow, yeah, blowing out the night, yeah, you're the puppet like a well, thanks for listening to another episode of Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thank you to our guests today, and thank you to all my listeners. It means the world to me that you guys spend some time listening to us do this. Our artwork was created by Brian Mays. You can check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. Thanks to Matt Farley at Moturn Media for most of our bumper music. You can reach him at Moturn Media. That's M-O-T-E-R-N Media. And chances are he's got a song about anything you can imagine so check him out good stuff thank you to alex sanchez for our pod of second chances theme thank you to good trash media for continuing to host us and continuing to promote us and retweet us our opening and closing background music is the one and only bob cribby avalanche bob himself you can check his music out at avalanchebob.bandcamp.com Thank you very much to his producer, Sam Kogon, for being so cool about letting us use Bob's music. We miss you, Bob. High power, snow power, to the stars, protect the earth. You'll notice we no longer have a sponsor. That's both for legal reasons and because our previous sponsor has gotten so much work, presumably from this show, that he doesn't need it to advertise. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.